We talked about alcohol last Sunday. We divided the groups into three. Uh, that some of you would think alcohol is good, very good, it's great, nothing wrong with it. About a third of you, part of your culture. Uh, another third would say it's, it's bad, it's wrong, it's evil, it's, it's not healthy, we shouldn't ever do it. And about another third we said probably would say, I, I don't know, I really, really hadn't thought it through, I really hadn't thought that much about it. So <clears throat> if you missed last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back and to maybe podcast that. Today... It's another one of those controversial subjects. I think we can divide this one into thirds as well. With our topic that we'll introduce in just a minute, about a third of us in this room are very careful. You're very careful. You've thought about it. You think about it. You're very intentional. Uh, you lean into this. It's not something that you're not aware of. About a third of us in the room, though, another third would be careless. Whereas this group is careful, this group is like careless. I hope something happens. I don't really care. I'm just, I'm just going through life. I haven't really thought it through. I'm not leaning into it. I'm really rather sloppy when it comes to this area. Another third in the room might be a little carefree about it. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not good. I'm not really sure. And so we, we all fit into one of those categories. When you do a message series on security measures, the first cousin to security is wisdom. Foolish people open themselves up to things that can happen that are not wise. Wise people have more security. For instance, if we're in New York City and we leave a brand new car, we leave the windows down, and we have the keys in the ignition, and we're in a bad part of town, what's likely to happen to that car? Uh-huh. Versus a wise person would roll the windows up, lock the doors, not put the keys in the ignition, and park it somewhere where there's an armed guard, right? That's just wise. So my goal during this series is to build on our wisdom. Now, this particular topic, the Proverbs say you don't recover from this. The Proverbs would say you don't recover. It's not like there's a long recovery process. You, you don't get over this. Can you be forgiven for it? Absolutely. But it impacts your life. Look at what the Proverbs says about this in Proverbs chapter 2. This particular topic says, Surely her house leads down to death, and her paths to the spirit of the dead. Now, that's not a good direction to go, is it? Does anybody want to be on this road? Of course not. And none who go to her return. He's not saying that there's a, a, you know, you can get over this. It may take a long time. There's a long recovery process. He's saying none who go to her, they don't, they don't come back or attain the paths of life. But if you live wisely... You lean into this. You're careful with this. Here's what happens in verse 20. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain uh, in it. Now, this topic is something that we're all aware of. It's on our billboards. It's on the movies. It's in the radio, on the radio. It's going to be on all the Christmas advertisements. Boys talk about girls. Girls talk about boys. 
men talk about, women talk about. <laughs> Only about seven of you act like you know what the topic even is. Okay? You're all aware of this. We talk about this everywhere else except church. It's amazing to me. It's like the world has a monopoly on relationships when it was God who created Adam and Eve in the first place. The monopoly comes from our Heavenly Father. And so we're going to have a very frank and a very candid conversation today about this. It's already on your mind. It's on everybody's mind. It's in the books. It's in the literature. It's in the movies. Every, and it's, it's, it's okay. I mean, all these different movies have a romantic flavor and flair to them. I've also decided that if you're not a good student in life, and I was a career counselor, I would encourage you to be a country music star. Because you could be a C or a D student and, and qualify to write country music. All country music is about women and whiskey are men and beer. That's it. And so if you're not real smart, that's a, that's a career that you got from your pastor. It's just a, it's an option, okay? But, but it's on everybody's mind. So we're going to talk about this today in church. Now, what's interesting is it's also on the people's minds in the Bible. It's a very biblical topic. In fact, if I were to give you, if I were to receive a text, and the text said, Bonefish, six o'clock, casual, you would probably assume that I text the f- person or the family that we're going to have dinner with, and I would say, where are we going, what time are we going to meet, and how are we going to dress? But all the text that I get back says, bonefish, six o'clock, and casual. You would know that that's, I probably had set somebody up and a- ask a few questions. What we get out of the book of 1 Corinthians today are the answers to the questions that they're asking. It's on their mind. They're going to ask questions to the Apostle Paul. They've written Paul a letter, and they've said, what about marriage? What about sex within marriage? What about virgins? What about if there's an unbelieving spouse? They ask Paul all these questions, and all we get is the text back. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says this. Now for the matters that you wrote about. In other words, they wrote these questions to Paul. We don't know their questions. We can assume their questions. We can kind of piece this together. But Paul's going to respond to them. Now for the matters that you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now this is hilarious. Not that, but, but this is hilarious. <laughs> I can get in real trouble real quick this morning with this topic. You need to keep praying for me. I know you are. Um, so th- that's not the point. The point is you wrote this. You wrote the question, it's not good for a man to have sexual relationship with, with a woman. And, and Paul's going, that's not right. But see, they're coming out of this aesthetic lifestyle where now the pendulum swung the other direction, where they had like Dionysus from last week, the god of wine and the sexual orgies. Now the pendulum swung all the way over the other direction to an aesthetic lifestyle. And so the Christians in Corinth are asking, are we going to be more holy if we don't get married? That's the question that they're asking. And Paul's like, are you kidding? Of course not. God created male and female. And by the way, 
This whole thing about sex, this is God's idea. I mean, God didn't like wake up one morning and go, what in the world are Adam and Eve doing? Are you kidding me? What is that all about? I mean, this was his idea. And so when we talk about this, this is within the confines of what God wired us for. Now, Satan will do everything he possibly can to get you to have sex before marriage. And Satan will do everything he possibly can do to keep you from having sex once you're married. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came to church today? Huh? This is going to be juicy. This is going to be good. So it's on their minds. That was the question. Look at the next question they're asking him. Now, to the unmarried, this is the question. They ask a question. What do we do if we're not married? Look at the next question they ask him. To the married, I give this command. And then Paul responds about, about married life. Look at the next question, verse 25. Now about virgins. That always gets everybody's attention. And it's a question that they're asking and Paul's going to respond to. So let's just, let's just get this out on the table right here, right now. None of us are righteous about this. None of us are. None of us have gotten it all together all the time in the room. None of us. We're all stained. We're all, we've all sinned. We've all messed up. A word, a thought, many thoughts or deeds, everybody in the room has made mistakes with this. Right? Again, only six of you are with me. Um, the others of you haven't caught your breath yet, because I can't believe he's talking about this at church. So, so this is not to be condemning. This is for us to be very helpful as we go forward in life. Now, when you look at this, and you see the material in the Bible, like, I mean, there's like, like wheelbarrows full of train wrecks. And so again, if you're new to church or you're not a church person and you're trying to figure out if the Bible's really true or not, if I were writing the Bible, I certainly wouldn't have God's people do the things I'm getting ready to tell you right now. I mean, one of them was David. And everybody knows that David was a man after God's own heart. And David had all these incredible opportunities to be loyal and faithful to Saul, even though Saul was trying to kill him. But what's so amazing about this story with David is David took his eye off the ball. David lost his focus, and David somehow sees Bathsheba on the roof. It was the time when kings went out to war, and he stayed home. He should have been out in the springtime fighting, but he doesn't. And he sees Bathsheba on the roof, and she's naked, and she's bathing. Now, I'm wondering why the chick is over there bathing naked, you know, in front of the king. I think she knew what she was doing. I do. But regardless, the response was, That's Uriah's wife, David. You cannot have her. That's Uriah's wife. They didn't say Bathsheba. They said, that's Uriah's wife. Who who was Bathsheba? David says, I want her. And David takes her. And David commits adultery with Bathsheba. And there's a little bitty verse at the end of this that says this. But the thing that David had done, it displeased the Lord. What a verse. But the thing that David had done, displeased the Lord. Well, this opens up a real can of worms in David's family. 
And this is one of the reasons why we want to stop this. I can't and you can't unscramble eggs. None of us can unscramble an egg. Once the egg's cracked, once the egg's cooked, you can't get it back into the shell. But all of us in this room can go forward today. We can all go forward today. Here's what happened with David. One of David's sons was named Amnon. And Amnon was lustfully pursuing a half-sister by the name of Tamar. And in this, this story, Amnon's trying to figure out, how can I sleep with Tamar? And one of his friends said, well, just pretend to be ill. Pretend to be sick. And what will happen then is, is, you know, you'll ask her to cook a meal for you, and the king will allow her to cook a meal. And, and when she comes into your room, close the chambers, and it's exactly what happened. And he raped her. Amnon raped his half-sister, Tamar. It's right in the scriptures. Now, there's another brother named Absalom, and Absalom waits two full years to get revenge. But David's sin began to unravel his entire family, and so his, one of his sons, Amnon, rapes one of his daughters, Tamar, and now he's got a son by the name of Absalom. Here's the story with Absalom. Watch this. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep shears were at Baal Hazor, near the borders of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. This is kind of like a harvest time, Midwesterners, this would be like corn, beans, this is like everybody's coming for harvest. Absalom went to the king and he said, you servant has had, your servant has had shears come, will the king and his attendants please join me? No, my son, the king replied, all of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused to go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, if not, well, please let my brother Amnon. Here's the plot. Here's the ploy. He's, he's reeling in his half-brother because he's going to kill him. Well, if not, he said, uh, please, if not, please let my brother Amnon come with us. The king asked, well, why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him, and so he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's son. And Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men, went, Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. And then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and they fled. We go from adultery... The perversion, now we've got this incredible case of, of a massacre that, that takes place. One last story. The kings were told not to increase in silver and gold, not to increase in horses, and not to increase in wives. Now, God wasn't against wealth, and God wasn't against horses, and God wasn't against marriage. What he was trying to say is, is don't put all your stock in that, put your trust in me. If you have all the money in the world, then you'll never need to depend upon me. If you have all the horses in the world, then you'll have such a mighty army, you'll never have to depend upon me. And if you have all these wives, they are for foreign alliances, and the alliances were to keep peace, then you'll never have to depend upon me. And so Solomon did just the opposite of what the Scripture said. Solomon amassed more silver and gold than any other king in all of history. Solomon had 14, I'm sorry, 12,000 horses and 1,400 chariots. 12,000 horses. And now look about his wives and what he did. Here's a story out of 1 Kings. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. 
Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. In other words, what did he do? He ignored it. He said, ah, doesn't apply to me. I'm the king. He had 700 wives. And 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He, allowed, uh, he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from Israel, from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. I think this is a terrible story. If, If you like think the Bible's a little skeptical, I think these stories should like build your confidence that the scriptures just paints it all, the pictures genuinely warts it all. Well, again, this is not a sermon to make us feel bad. This is a message to help us to live well. See, are you noticing a pattern here? Every time this is abused, life doesn't go well. Life does not go well when people abuse us, but you already know that. Every one of us in this room, we already know that. Whether we know that personally, or we know that from our family, or we know that from our friends, or we know that from work people, every one of us in this room already know, every one of us know we're wired for faithfulness. Every one of us already knows we are wired for commitment. Every one of us in this room, we already know that none of us are wired for sexual disgrace. We already know that. Every one of us knows that every time we've done something that's been a little disgraceful, we don't feel good inside. We're churning. And it creates psychological, physiological, emotional, and spiritual things that cause us to be unbalanced. You already know that. We know that. This is, I think, just so confirming from science and from um, academia. I love these different university studies. The University of Chicago has done some amazing things. Now, the reason I like the university studies, it's because it's not like the Billy Graham Association, which I like, but the Billy Graham Association, my non-Christian friends would say, well, you're biased. Well, absolutely I'm biased. I am biased. I'm 100% biased on the scriptures. But what I love about the University of Chicago is that they have now done studies on divorce. And they will say one-third of all divorces, these are secular studies, these are not Christian people, one-third of all divorces are directly related to marital infidelity. And the University of Chicago, again, has said 
One-third of all married men commit adultery. One-fourth of all married women commit adultery. And so we, we've got this in the church. We've got this in our families. We've got this in our communities. What do we do with all this? I got a whole packet of research this week from a friend of mine who does research for me. And I got a packet about this thick on all the diseases, the sexually transmitted diseases. I can pronounce about 10 of these. The other 50, I can't even pronounce. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is not good. But it's the University of Wisconsin study that I want to share with you right now on the screen. And the University of Wisconsin, again, they're not, they're not biased. They're not a Christian organization, but the University of Chicago is sharing with us on, on the effects of, of premarital sex. And so I got this on the screen. You can read it. You can look at it yourself. Um, premarital sex tends to break up couples. Many men and women do not want to, be, to marry a person who's had intercourse with someone else. Those who've had premarital sex tend to have less happy marriages. This is the University of Wisconsin. This is not some Christian organization. Those who have premarital sex are more likely to have their marriages end in divorce. Persons and couples who've had premarital sex are more likely to have extramarital affairs. Having premarital sex may fool you into marrying a person who's not right for you. Persons and couples with premarital sex experience tend to achieve sexual satisfaction sooner after they're married. Look at the the next slide. And you can see this. But see, I think we already know this. I, th- I think we already get this. And so, so our, our goal then, again, hear me. I like you. I love you. I love being your pastor. Everybody else is talking about this. I think we need to talk about this. I think we need to have some open, upfront conversations about this. Because my goal is to help you. I I love you. I love being your pastor. I cannot believe I get to be your shepherd. I love you. And I want to help you the most that I possibly can help you with. So again, can you be forgiven? Of course you can be forgiven. That's the power of Christ. That's the power of the blood. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so we don't carry that shame with us, but we go forward in victory. And my my goal today is for you to go forward. We've all sinned. None of us are lily white. We've all made mistakes in this area. But how do we go forward? How do we go forward as a a team, as a family, as a church with, with sexual integrity? Nobody in the room wants to continue to have sexual disgrace. Nobody does. So how do we move forward with this? Well, I have some security measures, first of all, for married people, okay? If you're married, these are security measures that I do. These are security measures. Maybe it's too restrictive. Maybe it's too old-fashioned. Maybe I'm just trying to be all Bibled up, but so far it's worked for 30 years, okay? And I want it to work another 30 years. So here are some security measures for married people and if you want to take notes, they're in, they're in the bulletin. There's some fill-ins, okay? Here's, there's the first one. I, I don't and I wouldn't travel alone with members of the opposite sex. I wouldn't do it. Now, I'm not saying if some little old, sweet old lady has, you know, a flat tire and it's raining outside not to pick her up. I'm, I'm not saying that. I, I'm saying this is the, the norm. The norm is men and women who are not married 
are, who are married, do not, do not, men and women that are not married to each other, do not travel together. You say, gosh, that's old-fashioned. Okay, okay, maybe it is. I'm just giving you security measures that I think are healthy. Number two, don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. Now, again, maybe there's three of you coming for lunch and one of you couldn't come, and, and now you're kind of stuck for a meal. That's the exception. That, that's, that's, that's not the norm. I'm, I'm talking about purposely trying to have lunch. You say, well, gosh, that's a little old-fashioned. We've got to do business. This is the 21st century. Uh-huh, it is. This is the 21st century. And we're not doing any better today than, than we did two centuries before this, are we? No, we aren't. So, again, that's just my strong suggestion for security. Number three, uh, don't hire attractive members of the opposite sex because you want to help them. I had a bunch of friends do this. And they, they, it never ended well. You feel sorry for this, thing, this, this young female, or this, and it doesn't work because you felt sorry for them. You hire the people who are qualified. You hire the right people. That's what you do. Number four, don't confide or counsel members of the opposite sex. I, I don't counsel women. I don't. We have a full-time counselor on staff named Carol Bermood. She's a lot better at it than I am anyway. And I, I don't counsel women. And, and so many, uh, occasionally every year, two or three women of our church get really mad at me because I won't counsel them. Well, tell me what good comes out of that. What possible good could come out of that when there's other female spiritual leaders who can do this a whole lot better than I can? Number five, when you feel your heart or your desire drifting toward a specific person, tell someone. Now, I, I don't know. There's a debate about this. I, I don't know that I would tell your spouse if, if you're a male, you know, and you're attracted to somebody else, and you come home, and you tell your wife, especially if she's a card-carrying member of the NRA, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I would do that. I'm not, that's a good idea or not, okay? But, but if you're a male, you tell another male. If you're female, you tell another female. You, 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 you have some, somebody that helps you in, in your life like that. That's for married people, okay? I agree. That's, that's tight. I agree. But where do you want to err? Where do you want to make mistakes? All right. Now for single, I, I really feel for single people. I really do. I, 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 those of you that are single, I just think you got a tough route. So here are my five suggestions. Number one, gouge out your eyes with a spoon. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> That's my best suggestion. We're done. Goodbye. Let's sing just as I am, and we're, we're out of here. I, I, I can't imagine being single right now. I can't. You know, there's maybe snow on the roof, but there's still heat in the kitchen. So I, I, I can't imagine this. I really can't. I'll let you think about that for a while. <laughs> so, but, but I, I'm serious. I... I, I, I know it can be done. Joseph did it. Joseph did it well. Joseph had Potiphar's wife after him. He, he did this well. Number two, apply the married people's guidelines in your relationships with married people. Remember those guidelines real quickly? 
Don't travel alone. Don't eat alone. Don't hire. If you're single and you're with someone who's married and you're traveling alone with him or with her or you're eating alone with him, you are just asking for disaster. Number three, decide what taking care of the temple means to God before the date. I think you should decide these kind of things in church. I I do. I think you should make these decisions during communion because that's when you're the most connected with your heavenly Father. What am I going to do on the date? What am I not going to do on the date? Time to make that decision is now, here, not after you've had, you know, a couple of cold ones and it's 11 o'clock at night, right? That's not the time to, to make that decision. Number four, reserve sex for marriage. This was God's idea. He likes it. It's good. There's three reasons for sex and marriage. One is procreation, one is recreation, and one is unification. All three of those fit. All three of those are God's idea. Sex is God's idea. It's not dirty. It's not shameful. It's not something that we should blush about. Sex is God's idea, and it was very good. Right? Amen. All right, number five. Number five. Get to know the heart before you get to know the body. That's just wisdom. That's just a security measure to get to know this other person's heart. Who, are, who is she? Who is he? Before you do that. My, my goal is to help. My goal is to help. There's another scripture verse that's just so potent and powerful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. All right, so what do I do if I'm messing up? What if I do if I'm in the middle of a storm right now? What do I do if I'm in the middle of a cloud and things are not going well? Let's get out of the cloud. Here's what David did. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, probably about a year goes by to where Nathan the prophet confronts him. And David just repents. David confesses his sin. David comes clean. David changes the course of his life. You see, I think repentance is a good thing. I think this is something that we want to do regularly and and quite often and and not ignore this. Your heavenly Father's crazy about you. Your heavenly Father already knows where you're struggling and why you're struggling and how he can help you. So here's what he says to David in Psalm 51. David pours out his heart. When Nathan the prophet came to David after David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he said to God, Oh God, have mercy on me. Oh God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. 
and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And so maybe it's repentance this morning. Maybe for you it's this create in me a clean heart, O oh God. I want to change. I want to grow. I want to go with you. I want to do the things that you want me to do. If you're struggling with this, I get it. I get it. Probably a whole lot more than you would think a preacher would get. I get it. But the power and the answers are in the Word of God. The power and the strength is in the the community of God. The power and the strength is in all of us as family working together, locking arms, and making a significant difference together. So I want to close today with just praying for you. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you as a congregation. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come on down front right now. I'm going to ask all of us to stand up. Maybe today is your day to give your life to Christ. Maybe today is your day to come down front and say, I'm struggling with this. I need help with this. But just imagine, just imagine our impact as a community of faith. If we can walk with sexual integrity, just just imagine, not where you've been, but where you are and where you're going. Just imagine if we can walk forward together and, and, and do this right and handle this well and be the kind of men and women and young men and young women that God's called us to be. The world will take notice because it's rare. It's exceptionally rare. Let me pray for you. If you need to give your life to Jesus It's always the right thing to do. If you have special needs, come down for prayer. That's always a good thing to do. But I want to pray a blessing over you today. Our Heavenly Father, we come into your fold under your wings of protection. And we say, help us with this. It it, it was very good and it was pretty safe and all good in the garden. And after the garden, it's kind of all hell's broken loose with this. And, and, and we all struggle to one degree or another. And so first of all, we come and we collectively say, we've sinned with our deeds. We've sinned with our thoughts. We've sinned with our words. Creating us a clean heart. We want to go forward with purity and holiness. Oh, Father God. Create within us that incredible desire to live for you and to live well. And I thank you, God, for what you're doing. I thank you for how you're going to use us as a church. Even how we're starting plans to build a wedding chapel. A chapel that will be a, a communication tool. A tool that will help us to communicate to this community your plan for marriage, your ideas, your ideals, a a chapel where we share the gospel and share your, your, your stories with hundreds and hundreds of people every single year. We thank you, Father, for how we as a church can make a difference today and tomorrow and a legacy of healthy families shoring up our nation's foundation of the family. Thank you for this incredible day. We praise you, Father. We honor you.
in the name of Jesus. Amen.